Thank you, worship team, for uh, blessing us in song and encouraging us as we sing out God's word. You guys know we uh, started last week in a series where we're talking about relationships. And uh, we, we think that relationships are important, whether you're looking at uh, talk shows or you're listening to radio. People are trying to understand relationships. And so we decided let's dive into them. And last week we focused on celebrating singles and we celebrated how do you thrive in God, but also how do we connect to one another? And the focus was seeing and celebrating how God does that in the life of singles. This week, we're going to shift the focus a little bit, shift the focus a little bit away from singles. So now will you pray with me? Lord, we are excited to hear from you, expecting to hear from you in spite of me. Move me, Lord, so that the people may hear your word, be encouraged, and live in light of your truth. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As uh, long as I can remember, I have loved dance. I love movies about dance. I love music videos. I've loved the the memories I have of people throwing away cardboard boxes and me and my homies getting the markers and then we were right on the box, lay it out and get to doing the break dancing. Like I just I love dance and the Lord has blessed me with a wife that loved dance. And so we got married in 04 and uh this this new show came out. It was called So You Think You Can Dance. And it started in 05. And we started watching the show. And the show was cool because it would be like individual people would get up there and dance and they would do their thing. We get hype. But the show was really at its like height when they would pair up two people and those two people would do a dance together. And those people would get judged and the people got judged the highest marks, not when one person was amazing and the other was eh. Or another person was amazing and another was, eh. they got just highest marks when the two almost didn't even seem like separate individuals, but would be in sync together. No pun on the in sync. I'll get that later. <laughs> I do, Silas. And so, and so, and so this, this, this kind of oneness would happen through seeing these two people dance together. Family, today we're going to talk about the beauty of oneness. It is what God has, has aimed, desired, and set forth as he looks at marriage within the Christian household. Marriage is this idea of a oneness. And today we are going to be looking at some different elements that allow us to understand God's design for marriage. We're going to look at marriage oneness and why it's paramount, why it's the most important thing within marriage is, in, is this oneness. That Satan desires to divide the oneness that is present within marriage. And lastly, to take some steps towards strengthening oneness. Now, if you go to the dictionary and you try to look up oneness, you ain't going to find it. Because pastor just made that up. All right. But you but you get the idea that he that God has made us one, but that it doesn't stop there. It's a continual experience of the married couple. So if you would join me, 
Open your Bibles, which might be right by your knees. We're going to go to the very beginning. Chapter one of Genesis, the first book in the Bible, first chapter in the Bible. Genesis chapter one. And we got a lot of verses to cover today because I think better than I can. God explains himself really well. I just I get to restate what he's already said. But in Genesis chapter one, we're going to start verse twenty six. And to my parents, I just want to encourage you. The kids are safe here. Y'all know that twice a month. Kids are in service with us so that they can see families worshiping together. So if the kids start crying, it's okay. Y'all are safe here. Don't feel like you need to roll. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead of myself. Would you please start at chapter 1, verse 1? Why don't we do that? In the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light in the beginning. fam. God creates all things. This beautiful chapter helps us see that God is the one who has created everything. If your mind can imagine it, it has come from him, from the waters to the skies to the heavens. And all of chapter one is about his creation. And you know what else you find in this chapter that is talking about the most beautiful things you can imagine from from mountains to valleys to rolling hills. This image of you, this image of humanity, humanity is found within the creation story as a as as another beautiful expression, a beautiful part of creation that God that God displays. Look now with me to verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth. And over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, when you're at Mac, you probably get bored because out of 52 sermons a year, probably 20 of them connect back to this. Because we're trying to continue to remind all of us where our identity is found. It is found in being an image bearer of God. That is that is our goal. That is why you were created. And there is no distinction between that woman, man, equally created, equally purposed with the aim to image God. So we talk about that often. And we want to make sure that that is a a, a clear understanding here at Mac. But notice that God is creating one thing within humanity. A distinction. A difference. While creating humanity, he also creates male and female. Different. Uniquely different. 
still equal, but different. And look at what he continues to say in, in verse 28. Uh, our, our, our kids have this, this app. Uh, no, I have the app because our kids don't have a phone yet. My bad. Uh, I have this app. It's called the New City Catechism. And I'd encourage you parents uh, to grab it. New City Catechism. It has like songs and it has scripture, has a little bitty commentary, and it has a question and answer for children. So you can walk them through the different elements of the faith. faith. And it progressively gets a little more intense as they grow older. And one of the things to ask them is, uh, how and why did God create us? And the answer that my kids give at this stage is, God created us male and female in his own image to glorify him. New City Catechism app. Look at, look at verse 28. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. Verse 31. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, and it was very what? good and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day notice that in verse 28 did God just bless one person of one aspect of humanity does he just bless women does he just bless the men no he's speaking to them collectively he blesses them and then when he gives this charge of how they are to care for all of of the creation, he says, and he says to them, be fruitful and multiply. So it's a challenge to the couple, male and female. But there is a there is a distinction between male and female. And and we see this being a part of the creation narrative. And, and I know that we're going to have some follow up uh, conversations that are a bit deeper in some in some sermons that are coming. Remember, this is a series. So be prepared. We got We got we're going to cover some more aspects of this. But but just as God has defined what a mountain is, just as God has defined what the sky is, just as God has defined what the seas are, as he is the creator, God also is the one who defines male and female. We as humans are not able to redefine a mountain, nor are we able to redefine what it means to be male and female. And so family, we want to we want to talk about some unique nuances that are coming up within our culture and that's going to be happening, but I want to make sure we place this in the proper context. God is the creator, man is not. And so God is created But then he lays out some more unique aspects so that you can understand, so that you and I can understand a little bit more about chapter one and what marriage looks like coming out of this beautiful creation narrative. Look with me in chapter two. It says, the Lord took the man. Oh, sorry. In verse 15, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
Now we get in some 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 directive, some command. I want you to notice a couple things. First, Adam is given a task. The task is not optional. God says, I'm going to put you in this place and I got a task for you to do. I got some work for you to do, brother. I want you to work the garden and I want you to keep it. Some people think that if he does that, the Garden of Eden spreads out over all of creation. If Adam is faithful to work it properly. One thing we do know is that the tense of God speaking changes before when he created them. The conversation from God was to both of them, to to male and female. But now look at it. Does does in 15, does God place Adam and Eve in Garden of Eden? Just places Adam there. In 16, the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree. And then he also says, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. The you here doesn't go from does, it's not talking about y'all. You know, when, when we say uh, when we say, hey, we got some snacks upstairs, feel free to go and get some. Y'all can have as much as you like. You get that I'm talking about everybody in the room. But when I say, baby, can you drive my car home? I ain't talking to all y'all. And you see in these verses that the that the the conversation that was initially started with two being male and female shifts to just one. Now God's talking intimately, directly giving orders to Adam. And uh, this is where this is where we get this is where we start building cases for male leadership. This is start. We start building cases for what it looks like for men to lead. Now I know as soon as I say that term "lead," ooh, wee, some sisters have already rolled their eyes. Because, 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 because with that term, oftentimes comes a pain. With that term, oftentimes comes some people that are working through some healing. Male and female with that pain oftentimes comes strong leaders and strong abuse. But I don't want us because sin has corrupted it for us to try to start a new design. For us to try to say, no, let's let's because of the pain we experience, let's make a new model. No, God has given us a model and let's look at what he originally intended. Look at verse 18 with me, because uh, like every sister in here, God knew brothers need some help. Verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. This term helper. It is a beautiful term. It is a term that is used of the Lord himself. In Psalm 54, 4, God's word says, behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life because women have been created in the beautiful image of God. They are always equal with man. 
If any man should try to ever say that a woman is beneath him, then he does not understand chapter one of Genesis. But out of man, woman is born, and that's to be a helpmate. And what, is, what, are, what are we talking about here? There's, there's, the, there's this concept that, that both male and female are trying to worship the Lord, and in doing so, that is where you see the ultimate expression of God's beauty and glory. So as, as a woman is created to be a helper, the question that the woman asks is, what am I supposed to be helping him doing? And how do I do that, Pastor? If I can just be honest with you, I don't know. And I'll, I'll say why I don't know. Because what it looks like to help looks different for every one of you. Helping starts with how do I help see my husband represent God to the fullest of God's glory? How do I help him magnify God best? In this room, uh, I watch y'all. And y'all watch me, and we all do this. We will, uh, after service is over, one of you will be talking to somebody, and the spouse will come up right next to them and just simply rub the shoulder of their spouse. Or softly grab the other person's hand. Or maybe you'll come up and while the person's talking, you just put your hand right in the small of their back. You see, it's, 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 it's a unique expression that happens that shows that I affirm you. I'm right next to you. You're the one who loves you and comforts you is with you. I'm right here. But I'm just saying, if you try to come up to my wife and put your hand in the small of her back, we're going to have some issues. Cause see, that's that's unique to me. That that's that's a unique that's that's the way she touches me is unique to me. The way she helps me is unique to me. And so we've gotten in dangerous water when we start to make roles and in those roles confine people to what they have to do in order to be the proper helpmate. First, that starts with you and God. And when our focus is on God of God. He's supposed to be doing things that bring you glory through being obedient. Now you've created me as a woman to help him be obedient to you. How do I best do that? Man, we can start we can start a beautiful relationship in this. But if but if I as a pastor tell you how to do that most successfully, I mean, don't get it wrong. There's some themes that happen because sin is real and there's nothing new under the sun. There's some stuff we can learn. But God's got to be the, 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 the dominant voice in what it means for you as a husband to respond in obedience. For you and a wife to respond in obedience. This is all about obedience. It's just fleshed out and looks different according to men and women. But both have the same end goal. So I believe that women and men are, are meant to complement one another. But that complimenting shouldn't confine us. It shouldn't. It shouldn't. It, and, and just to be totally honest and make sure I'm totally clear. Brothers, you are to be a helper, too. Let's not let's not get it twisted that because women were created out of man as the helper. That 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 we aren't supposed to help too. Amen, brothers. Amen. Yeah, we here. OK. 
And so continue with me to verse 21. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I just read for you a a, a snapshot of what we as Christians view the first marriage. The first the first marriage, the first time where you have the the creation of one and creation of another and and God does a uniting and makes them one. I was uh listening to a pastor say it. He was saying like that at the altar of a wedding there's only three people. The bride, the groom and God. And everybody else is just in the audience. We get that. We get that image here of God uniting the two. I've seen us try to have some imitations. I've seen people try to imitate what this oneness, this beautiful oneness might look like. I've seen political groups try to imitate a oneness where they have a unified voice. Hasn't worked well for us. I've seen, like I said, some electric boogaloo and some dance groups try to get it right. But somehow one person is one tick off. You know what I'm saying? I've seen us try to imitate this oneness in the world. But I believe we believe God is saying without him as the one that brings the oneness together. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Our brother uh, um, Ortland is a, a guy who wrote this amazing book. And uh, actually, he helped. I, I've been reading his book about marriage, and it's helped me process and put things in a linear fashion, things that I've been reading in the scriptures. And so I'll uh, send that book out and attach it in our, in our um, notes for this week. It's a marriage. So I think it's called Marriage and the Beauty of the Gospel, Nate, or... I forgot. Sorry. Um, so I missed marriage and the mystery of the gospel. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and he says this. He says this quote. He says, let us make sure that as we celebrate oneness, basically that we continue to communicate, because unfortunately we have gone the other way of not communicating the, the, the value of women, that we continue to communicate. The woman matters in her own right as the man's unique counterpart. The only one of all creation who corresponds to man. Matthew Henry said this. He said, uh, the woman was not made out of his head to rule over him, nor his feet to be trampled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected and near his heart to be beloved. Family, you see this image of oneness, of a beauty where we are seeing an equal, but a a different way in which the expression of God's obedience is happening. But uh, if you if you if you fight me on a number of things, I pray, even if, if you fight me on, is there a design for God? 
God's marriage. If you fight me on you know, the creation and what it looks like for humanity to be a part of that and, and male and female being defined by God. If you fight me on a number of things, I pray that the one thing you won't fight me on is that God wants oneness in marriage. That he takes two and makes them into one. And the image that you get, uh, the biblical image of one, a soldering, where you have two different elements, but when heat is applied, the two become one. That is the image that we have. Y'all remember that uh, that a few weeks ago we preached on uh, Father's Day and we talked about the Shema. And it said, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, was in Deuteronomy 6, 4. In John 17, 22, the Lord says, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be even as we are one. This oneness is an expression of a holy God. God's not making you one just so y'all can look great and reflect yourself. The oneness, again, goes back to chapter one, where we have get the opportunity to reflect God's image. So in being one, we are reflecting the image of God. I probably have said one more than I've said in the last 10 years. So I think I drove that point home. Amen. And the church said, amen. But it, but it, but it, but it's, it, it's cool because like God gives us some different things to remind us of, of this, this reflection. You guys, maybe, maybe this doesn't happen to y'all, but I like to kind of know how I look before I go out in public or before I go into a space. So sometime I like, you know, have my phone, pull it out, put it on camera, and then I'll hit the reverse camera and you know, teeth a little bit, you know, got the camera looking at me. But then you realize sometime, like, oh, it's a, it's a good day. You know what I'm saying? It's a, let me go ahead and snap this pic. Come on, boo, let's snap this pic. And then we get the pic, you know? And, and, and those, those, like, couple selfies is, is, is what God is just going through, like, Reflecting me in their oneness. Reflecting me in their oneness. Look at them reflecting me in their oneness. Do you see that like that that it is it is the essence of what it means to be a beautiful Christian couple is that you get to look like God. But Satan ain't happy. As a matter of fact, he's crafty. And so we're going to look at the ways that he seeks to break apart that oneness. Look with me in chapter three. We're going to look at uh, his craftiness right after we see this joyous thing that Adam celebrates that God celebrates. Now we see Satan enter the scene. Verse one. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Crafty. Sly. Slick. Cunning. A strategy with deceitful methods. Now, y'all, I can be I could preach like a full sermon on each one of these next verses through chapter three. Like it is. It, and people have written volumes on each verse. So I'm going to try to be quick. But I but I but I want you to get the tone of, of what's happening in these next verses. Satan says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
Imagine it went down kind of like this. Hear me out. Hear me out. Look at all this good food. Look at all this food everywhere, Eve. You in charge, right? Y'all in charge, right? Y'all running this show, right, Eve? I mean, look at all the, these things that are present. Man, y'all are doing some things. It's looking, it's looking amazing. Except for that, that one tree. That tree. And when I see that tree, I mean, I just got hungry. I just, I, I just got real hungry. When you look at that tree, and I don't know why, but that tree, Eve, just seems a bit more tasty. You see that? But y'all running all this, right? Y'all in control of everything, right? Who in charge again? You. Did God actually say you can't have that tree? Did he did he say that you who are in charge of all of this can't have from that one tree? And at that moment, at that moment, our sisters has the time to hit the pause button. She can pause and restate what God says in her mind and even restate it to the serpent and say to the serpent right away what God has said. Or she can enter in and be sucked into a conversation, be sucked into a negotiation, a dialogue with Satan. And that's all he wants is for us to enter into not being reminded of God's word, but us entering into his 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 cunning advances. I used to see this when I used to go to the club with the homies. I don't, I don't need too many amens on the on the club. I don't need too many amens. But I, I would see it when we would go to the club and there would there would definitely be married women there. And so I'd see a brother come on up. Start talking to the married woman. Hey, how you doing today? Sister says, I'm fine. Brother would then say, oh, that's nice. That's nice. I see you here alone. It's like, no, I'm just here with my friends. We're hanging out. Cool. Oh, so you so you just with your friends? No guy to return to? Yes. No, I'm married. You can see my ring. I'm married. I'm married. Oh, OK. Then the question comes. What kind of man would let a beautiful woman like you be out by yourself? It's that it's that bait, right? Because he knows that if you begin to start saying, no, 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 my man's a good man. And he enters into that conversation with you. Now it's great because at some point you and I both know your man ain't perfect. So he's going to find that flaw. And then somehow that flaw that your man has, he doesn't have. And so I've watched sadly as women get sucked up in game. But I've also seen when a woman pauses and says, have a good day, turn and goes and kicks it with her friends. Because she recognizes not even go down that road is the wisest thing. I already know your motives. I already know your plans. Family, Eve had that opportunity in the garden. And what Satan wants to do is entice us with doubts about who God says he is and what he promises. Satan wants to entice us with promises that are different than what God has said. 
And so the reality is that this is not unique to women. You can you can you can see it play out here in this word. But if you think that's all only happens to women getting enticed to do things different than what God says, brothers, we are too arrogant. Let us learn. In verse two, it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. She engages with Satan. And adds to what God has said. She also says, now not only are we supposed to eat it, but we can't touch it. She shifts from all that you can do and begins to focus on what she can't do. The limitations. We got all these trees in the garden and now the focus is on the one that you can't eat from. The limitations, the things that 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 struggle. If I can just take a, a time, a moment just to care for you pastorally. I've been blessed to, to serve in this congregation and care for folks throughout our city. And my wife and I have been able to do a decent amount of counseling. And I've been able to do a lot more counseling individually. And I can say, by and large, there's one thing that cuts married couple counseling in half that I've seen. That means if I have six sessions, it'll cut it down to three. Or if I have 10 sessions with someone, it comes down to five. There's one thing that I've seen, and it's when a married couple can come in and they already, with issues present, with things that need to be worked on, they already can come in and celebrate one another. Can give you a list of things that they already treasure about this person. We got an issue that we hear for, Pastor. But this man is a good man. We got an issue while we're here, Pastor. But let me tell you why my, why my wife is amazing. You see, Eve has all of these trees, all of this fruit, all of these beautiful things God has blessed them with. Adam, they got it all. And there's one thing that they can't have. And that's where the heart focuses. Married couples. You want to see what a breakdown oneness is when your focus and your shift begins to be all about the shortcomings of your partner. All about how they don't measure up. All about how your needs not being met. Don't define them in those terms. Trust me, I, 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 uh. Literally this week, we had a brother that uh, was an amazing brother that we met, really kind. We talked about a lot, spent some time together. But uh, one of the things he said, man, uh, and I, I'm sure he'd be okay with me sharing this. He just said, man, my past was so broken. My father been in jail since I can't remember, and my mother addicted to drugs. And, and my, my, my family has been so broken, I can't seem to be able to gain one foot of stability. You got a reason to be grateful for your spouse. You got a reason to someday, if you get married, to view them with an eye of thankfulness, with an eye of gratitude, even though they ain't perfect and you're not either, and I'm not either. 
Because as I'm preaching this to y'all, the mirror is right here. I'm preaching it to me. We got to fight for oneness, y'all. We got a reason to be grateful. Amen. Amen. Verse four. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit, took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. She took of its fruit and also gave some to her husband. Y'all, she took of its fruit. And also gave some to her husband, y'all. Sometimes like the image that we get of this this narrative of the Garden of Eden is like Eve was chilling here with with the serpent. And then she grabs some food, some fruit and she goes running. Adam, where you at, Adam? Adam, where you? Oh, there you go. You playing with the orangutans. Adam, take this fruit. (laughs) Take this fruit, Adam. And he's like, oh, what's this? No, I don't know. Should I take? Okay, Eve, I'll eat it. But that's that's not the picture. That's not the picture at all. Actually, in the last part of those of what I just read of chapter six, of verse six, it says she took of its fruit and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. It's more of an image like she said. (laughs) He was with her. He's right there. He was right there the whole time. If you if you can. I'm jumping ahead of myself, but I'm going to do that because my, I, I don't want to go too crazy long with y'all. Look at verse uh, 17 right quick in chapter three. Chapter three. Verse. Seventeen. And Adam, he said, and this is this is what God is saying. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. The, 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 the two things he did wrong that God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree. Listen to the voice of your wife. Where in that dialogue? Was at was Eve talking to Adam? Nowhere. So what it's saying is that as the serpent is talking to Eve, Adam is right next to her the whole time. Listening to it all. Doing nothing. Doing nothing. Present the whole time. And then not only does he not step out, protect, defend, shut down the party. Who are you talking to? You don't be talking to my wife like that. Watch out, serpent. You know, like not only does he get bug wild, he also listens to the whole interaction and then takes the fruit too. Family. We, 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 I think God was showing us through Eve some ways that we can we can struggle. Okay, you see, you, you see that from a woman's perspective. Men don't miss out. You can, you can struggle that same way. I think we're seeing it from Adam's perspective now. What it looks like to see passivity impact your life. 
passivity. Uh, There's a a modern expression of passivity that this brother named Lawrence Locken uh, put together. So that we so we don't miss it. He gives us six uh, passive ways. Is that up there, brother? Which which I have dabbled in all six of these at different times. It says laziness. When faced with a choice between relaxing or making the extra effort required, we often choose the easy way out or just chill and do nothing. Or the opposite, busyness, men getting so busy and so consumed with stuff, taking on so many responsibilities that we don't really do anything with excellence the way the Lord calls us to it. Entertainment, stealing our attention away and allowing us to just passively check out. Aimlessness, where we don't set goals or have a vision for our family. And therefore, we kind of keep the family in this holding pattern of passivity. Unbelief, we may think that we are not cut out for leadership. But if God has called us to lead in this way, it's a sinful unbelief to deny that God has called you to lead. And lastly, the one that I've seen be crippling in my own life and in the life of others, fear. We may be afraid of the reaction of others if we try to lead in some areas. So we simply don't do something because we fear failing. I think Lawrence Locken was on to something, y'all. Man, I think I think he's on to something in some of the ways that I, that 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 this sin is expressed within relationships and how it breaks the oneness that God desires. But sisters, y'all know. You can be lazy too. You can let fear cripple you as well. So these are things that are the encouragement for the oneness of God's marriage. Watch as these things creep in to try to destroy that. Watch as laziness and fear try to creep in. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. If you are, if you got your Bible and you can just slide back up to verse 25 in chapter 2, you'll see that, it, that in verse 22 they were naked. When they were naked in that time, it says they were not ashamed. Now because of these actions, they are shamed. In, 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 in sin, sometimes the expression of a nakedness is a shame. And they respond... By hiding now, um, you know, I'm gonna keep the party moving. And verse eight, we're still in chapter three, verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? God, he had pursued Adam in this time, asking a singular question, not where are y'all, not where is this couple? He says to Adam, where are you? Verse 10, and he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the truth of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me. 
Remember that girl you gave me? Mm-hmm. You hooked me up with her. She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Y'all, there's so many ways we could take this. I want to I wanna camp out on one. All right? And this is, this is key for oneness in marriage. What would it have looked like when God said, Adam, where are you? If the man just said, God, I'm here and I've done wrong. Will you forgive us? What would it have looked like if knowing the sin that Adam committed, instead of hiding, because you know the presence of the Lord is real, Come on now, we know that we done done some stuff in our lives and you know you wasn't supposed to do that and then your Christian friend call, don't answer. <laughs> you, you know, you know that, that, that you're supposed to do something and show up to somebody's house and, and be a help and because of your, the, the sin that you've committed, you just feel shame so you don't even want to be around them Christian people like that right now. I'm going to go ahead and I ain't feeling right today. Got to work in the morning. Come on, family. We know what it's like to do wrong. And then this holy presence, whether it come from our community, whether it come from the Holy Spirit. And what if what if, what would it have looked like? If the posture was not one of defense, run and hide, even not even one of take this bride that you gave me and throw her under the bus. No. What if it was more of a posture of I'm sorry, God. You've created a oneness and I chose to be disobedient to you and in being disobedient to you, I'm not thriving and therefore I'm hurting her. What if Eve said it? trying to help you Adam can you go to the father on our behalf tell him that we did wrong tell him that we we, we, we we want to apologize we want to have contrite hearts can you do that can we do that do you give me permission to go do that but what would that have looked like I can start walking through all the different aspects of how Eve played, had played the serpent, put it on him, and then say, Adam put it on Eve. And on. No, no, no. Family, if you want to know how you thrive in oneness, in a, in a marriage that God has created, we have to be willing to own our sin and apologize. If we can believe the best in one another, not focus on the limitations and what we don't have and have gratitude for the person that God gave us while in the midst of that relationship, owning what we need to own and apologizing. We'll see drastically different, drastically healthier marriages. Now, I know that that when I say a, a term like apologize, Uh, It is clear and it is detailed. But still, for some of us, and this is me, too, as men, we sometimes need like more details, like make it a little clearer. Like 
And so I, I was doing some study, some some research of some some uh, of the like more prominent people who've been doing research about marriage from the Christian perspective. Uh, there's a sister named Shanti Feldhahn, who a ton of different folks keep uh, referencing from a variety of camps. They reference her as a, a solid Christian um, like a solid person on the Christian perspective. And she's been doing studies about uh, marriage for a ton of time. Uh, so one of the things she says is that 50 per three, 53% of very happy couples agree with this statement, that God is at the center of our marriage compared to 7% of struggling couples. But they ask her this question. They say, what would be your number one tip for husbands and wives to keep their marriages happy. I'm going to give you some some tips because sometimes you leave and you're like, man, so all I need to do is be grateful for you and just apologize. And we're going to be one. Yeah, that's it. Those two work. That, that's enough. That's cool. But let me give you a little bit of extra help. All right. Because sometimes getting to that point, it, it takes a little work. All right. Y'all with me still? Amen. Amen. Okay. So she says women need to recognize the insecurity in their husbands and build them up by saying thank you. Notice the little things like if he changes the light bulbs or comes home and plays with his kids, even if he's tired from a long day. Start pointing out these acts, start pointing these actions out and you will see an immediate difference in the tone of your marriage. Men, y'all listening, men? Okay, okay. Men, men tend to think that they're clumsy with words, but can work a 70 hour work week to provide for their family. Providing is good, but it's not what women need most. What a woman needs is to know her husband is present and would choose her over all other things uh, and would choose her all over again after all these years. If you take her hand while you're walking across the parking lot, that says you choose me all over again. Or if you just take time in the middle of a crazy day at work to send a text or just to let me know that I matter, it makes a big difference. Family. I'm, I'm trying to paint big picture. Understand what God has designed in that design. There is some health for oneness. But I also want to give you some starting places, you know, send a text. Grab a hand. Listen. Notice the small. Family, we get the beautiful opportunity as married couples to do the same thing that singles do, which is to glorify God. It's just in a different way. But we also, in a unique way, and I see many families here, families that have children that are foster and families that have children that have been birthed. As married couples, we get a chance to model what it looks like to demonstrate oneness. Let us trust Christ with the ability to do so. So lastly, y'all, wants to recognize God's design for marriage. I want to thrive in understanding the role of leader and helper, which are equal. I want us to acknowledge the blessing of our spouse, to recognize your sin tendencies in your marriage. Maybe you as a man tend to be more like some of the things described with some of the ladies. Maybe you as a lady tend to be more some of the things it, that 
So you need to still submit those sins before the Lord. I need to submit those sins before the Lord. Choose confession and repentance over shame and blame. Model the love of God in our oneness. Ray Ortland, he said in that, in that same book, that we choose our way into this mess. Adam and Eve made some bad decisions. But we can't work our way out of this. To be able to have this oneness, it takes the help of the Holy Spirit. It takes the help of the Lord. And so if you are a person that even if it's your first time in here or you've been in here 150 times, we want you to know that the grace of God is extended to you so that all cycles, cycles that are based on being slaves to sin are broken in Jesus Christ. And today we offer unto you a chance to break any cycles. I had modeled for me an unhealthy cycle when I watched my parents' marriage. And early on, a, a mentor, when I was struggling, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. I was trying to lead Rebecca, and I, read, I led tyrannically. Do what I say, when I say do it, why are you second-guessing me? Do it. <laughs> I couldn't have timed that, right? You know, come on, Silas. <laughs> And, his, and, and what, he, what, what this young, what, excuse me, what this man said to me, he said, Leon, what you always have to remember is that you and Rebecca are on the same team. In her worst day, it is not her desire to work against you. You're on the same team. Family, I'm praying that our marriages would be strengthened by oneness, that we recognize we're on the same team. But if you are in a marriage and you don't love Christ, family, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't think you can do this one. I don't, I don't think you can pull this off. I don't think this spiritual change you can work out of being a good person. So today, more passionately and more serious than having a great marriage, we pray that you have a great walk with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we are delighted that we get a chance to serve you, that we get reminded of the, the beauty of your loving relationship. And you get to remind us of that as we get to express it in, in marriage. Satan is busy. He's lurking and he wants to do all types of drama. And it's sad in the way that the passivity that that is present, Lord, how it how it dismantles and corrodes our marriages help us to be safe and obedient and responsible to you guide us lord as we seek to love you well and love one another well it's in jesus name we pray